Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and today my guest is Leo Neal, and that song that played us in is from her album Acquainted with Night, and the song is Every Star Shivers in the Night, and it's a really great album. I highly suggest you buy it. It's out on Sub Pop. All the links to Leo Neal are in the show notes, so you could buy it uh, and and support her because, uh, frankly, musicians, that's how they're putting food in their bellies these days, merch and record sales, because they can't tour. And uh, I would, yeah, you, you know, you could stream it afterwards. Buy it and then stream it all you want. Because if you stream it, you should feel guilt if you don't buy it, because they don't get any money. So you could buy it, and then you could stream it guilt-free as you walk around town, because you can't walk around town listening to a record. Or you can, but you're going to scratch it up some. And it's really, most record players are pretty heavy. Um, and speaking of supporting, um, uh, you could support uh, this podcast. You could go to thematdwyer.com. That's my website. You could become a Patreon subscriber. And instead of listening to this conversation with Lael, Neil, and myself, you could watch us talk. You could look at her splendid face and my beyond average face. And all my, or most of my episodes are, I, I record so you can see the video. The video is often unedited, so you get, like, the raw, full content. Um, you get, like, an hour here on the free podcast, but sometimes my conversations go two hours. I put the part second hour up on the Patreon, and all Patreon subscribers get a pin. That's right. And you can follow my uh, Instagram, Conversations with Dwyer. And that's how you can find out about old uh, guests, new guests coming up, and... Uh, and, like, I've had Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips recently, Dale Crover from The Dale Crover from the Melvins. I was fighting a sneeze. That's why I was, <laughs> I was fighting a sneeze. A lot of times lately, especially in the pandemic, these intros are hard to get out because uh, my family is all living on top of each other in a two-bedroom apartment. I have a baby that's about a year old, so she cries a lot. My five-year-old screams. Dogs bark. It's mayhem in the old Dwyer household. And I don't drink alcohol anymore. So it's really <laughs> the one thing that kept me together. The glue that was for my psychology, I, I threw out the window. But um, anyway, thank you for listening. And please enjoy this conversation with Lael Neal. Are you in the house that you grew up in? 
Actually, I am living in a house that my brother built, which is a, a half a mile down the gravel road from my parents' house. So it's still on the same 600-acre farm, but it's but it's like you can just barely see each house from from the other. Wow, what was was that what was that like wake, growing up? And was that I mean, I guess you're used to it when you're a kid. Uh, living out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's always it's kind of always hard to compare it to anything else that, because you know it just was your experience. But I think that I think living out here in virtually isolation is something that's kind of contributed to my creativity in a really strong way and in imagination um because you kind of have to like create your own worlds and um and so I think it's been I think I loved it I know that I loved it and I loved being close to nature so that was that was like a really formative part of my who I am um so being back is interesting after having lived in Los Angeles and, and having the stimulation and the constant like bombardment of culture and people and different ideas and thoughts. And, um, so I've definitely felt like there's a little bit of a void in my life now that I've seen the other side, you know? Um, yeah. And you live in Echo Park, which I used to, I lived in for eight years and it is, there is definitely a pulse to that neighborhood and uh, I would say somewhat different than a lot of Los Angeles in that pulse. Yes. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, I say that it was like uh, different voices and, 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 and diverse and everything, but it, it is, I guess, kind of homogenous in that little <laughs> bubble of Echo Park <laughs> and Silver Lake. So I don't really know what I'm talking about, but yeah. Um, yeah. I loved it there though. It felt like a little, like a little artist haven, you know? Um, and, and the community feeling is really strong in that area. Yeah. I was, I just, I remember like I'd walk down to sunset and suddenly you would feel like you're just in something thriving and, you know, I, I would just meet random people and you would have these great conversations and then become friends and then become yeah. parts of these little worlds and circles. And it was kind of, it was magical. Yeah, exactly. When, where were you in Echo Park? I lived in Angelina Heights in a, oh, yeah. like ni near all those nice homes, but I lived in uh, like one of those small bungalows uh, with uh, that I ended up leaving because it became infested. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> with a variety of things. It wasn't just one thing. It was a variety of <laughs> bed bugs and who knows what. Oh, God. Because uh, yeah. you're in a bungalow as well, or you were, I don't, do you still keep your place there? No, I don't. Um, that was kind of an interim place anyway. I was just subletting it, but it, but it was, it was actually kind of attached to another big house and it was up perched on the hill north of sunset. So it was kind of down past, uh, well, it's down, it was down Echo Park Avenue, kind of to where you get to the crazy switchback and, um, so it felt like it was really removed from everything in a way. Um, but I was just subletting that place and it was really magical for, for about a year and then, then moved on from that and signed a lease and for the first time in my life. And then within three months 
the pandemic hit and I broke the, <laughs> broke the lease and <laughs> and skipped out of town. <laughs> it <was> so crazy. <laughs> yeah, Echo Park seems like a stressful place to be because it's very un- a lot of it is on top of each other for the for a pandemic because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. we had to hide in the, yeah. in Los Feliz for a while because of the fires but it was like so we're used to like wide streets and it was so congested that it was kind of terrifying right, right. yeah yeah but to go back to your to Virginia and I was just curious like what sort of stimulation you had like music and otherwise because in a rural area like was I don't know what era it was like if you had a (laughs) I grew up without internet so I'm you know I always think that you might have but what was that like yeah I I grew I grew up without internet too and definitely it was much slower to arrive well I mean I don't even have internet at my house now so (laughs) it's still not out here (laughs) I have to come to my I'm actually my old it's kind of feels so weird. I'm in my old childhood bedroom in my parents' house to do the interview because I don't have <laughs> internet out there. Um, so it is in a lot of ways removed. It's kind of out of time a little bit. But growing up, yeah, we didn't get dial-up internet, which you know is basically worthless um, anyway until probably late high school. And I was just doing instant messenger. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't even know. Um, and I didn't get an email until I went to college so so yeah that without the can without the internet I mean it's really trippy to think about life before the internet um and I I remember it very fondly um so (laughs) I don't know um (laughs) but but it was you know you're kind of given the people that you you're given the friends that are there you don't really have a choice. They're just like your classmates, you know, that's kind of all you have. And then my parents were get to get back to your actual question. My parents were really into music and my dad was following around the grateful dead for a period of time. And, um, and so they were going to festivals a lot and taking us to not only kind of jam music festivals, but also, um, bluegrass festivals and kind of the more traditional music from this area so we my brother and I were exposed to music from our whole lives and my parents just loved it they always had records on and um and it was a really big part of our life but not you know not really coming from being musical themselves they just were lovers of it did you take an it did that like going to dead shows and stuff, did that spark your interest in music? You think? I think so because I, I saw, I mean, I'm kind of like embarrassed by that now, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) but I did. Um, but I think that from that experience of the community that's, that surrounds the grateful dead or, any of those kind of festival scenes, it's so powerful. The, the positive feeling of people coming together in that way. Um, and the, the, just the power of music itself to, to kind of magnetize all these people to one place and, and create these little kind of community experiences for a long weekend or whatever. So, um, so I think that I was hugely impacted by that. Um, and I, 
I think that though I don't play music that's like that at all, I, at that mo- at those moments, I saw the power of music and I was kind of like magicked by it. Yeah. I saw the dead in high school and I didn't care at all about the concert, but the parking lot and that community yeah. was so like, I wanted to just hang out there. I could give a fuck about the concert, yeah. but it's like, I, I kind of think that's how a lot of people were. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and there's not, I mean, maybe fish shows, I don't know, but there's not a lot of things like that these days where it's like, there's also a community that comes along with the, or like that thriving of a community. Right. Yeah. I know. I can't think of anything. Well, certainly not now, but, um, but yeah, there's, I mean, it's just kind of unfortunate that the music is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very conflicted. I've been surprised when I interview musicians who like Tim Presley is a big deadhead and and also like a punk guy. And I was just like, it's always surprising. I, 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 I love the Grateful Dead. I actually do. Um, so I know it is surprising because it is kind of counter to everything that I do. And yeah, it's surprising that Tim likes it too, but it also kind of makes sense. It's, it was a, it, I think it's because it was a scene and it was, uh, it was such a huge cultural movement that it, the music was, is inextricable from it. And so the feeling that, that that music kind of creates and the ethic behind it is really powerful. And I actually think it's, there's a lot of poetry in those, in their lyrics because of, um, they had a Robert Hunter who was the, was this, he wrote most of the lyrics for their songs was actually a poet and he would write poems and then give hand them over to Jerry Garcia and, and then they would create the music for it. So it was unique and there are cool aspects, but yeah, when I hear them on the radio now, because we have like a dead show on the morning, it's like, what is this? It's just, uh, it's just warbled. Like, (laughs) I don't even know, you know, but, but it's also really nostalgic for me because I grew up listening to it. So I also can't extricate the two for, you know, I can't, I can't be too cold about it. It's very, it's like a nostalgic feeling. Yeah. So I don't know if that's other musicians' experience too. Yeah, I was it, as you were saying that I was thinking about it because I wanted to be into the dead in high school because I was just looking for community and it seemed to be. And I think that's uh, you know I, I think we're all searching to find our place and especially if you're like a music fan or in, and that seemed like a place I could have fit into. I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm originally from Chicago. Um, Okay. Where, where as I uh, often I didn't fit in anywhere, so I was desperately seeking uh, some place to find. And yeah, <laughs> it wasn't the dead. It turned out to be a, a weird theater that <laughs> people took me in in high school, and it was you know finally somebody wasn't beating me up. Is really what happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, theater is another. It's an. It's another really strong community feeling, and it goes beyond what the actual art is. It's like. Yeah. It's like the, yeah. This is very much like an island of misfit toys where it's like f- 
I finally met other people who were just weird and like, but they were unashamed to be their weird selves where I was still in fear of just being like, I like this thing. And so it was, the, right. you know, I had to, and I actually grew up in the suburbs, so I had to travel 30 miles to find it. And then I just yeah. never went to high school again. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> did you did you, did did you were did you find yourself seeking community in this small world that you were living in and not being able to find it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I when I I went to this small kind of it was a private school, but it was pretty unique. Um, and I and my mom worked there, and it was from kindergarten, pre-kindergarten until eighth grade. And there were 16 people in my grade from kindergarten to eighth grade. So I was like with, there were, I think there were 12 girls in my class and then four boys. So I was in like a really isolated experience up until eighth grade. And then I went to the public high school, which was a total shock to my system because I'd been in this little safe nest and, um, and it was really like, it was a really special little school where they focused on theater and music and art and, um, and kind of more of the alternative schooling type stuff. And then going to the public high school was like entering prison. It was terrible. And the kids there were really mean, um, to, to me and my friends who came from that little school. Um, and so I I definitely, I found my little group of friends in there, but I didn't, I did not feel like I fit in at all. And, um, and I think that was another, that was another place of having to kind of just depend on my own, self be to be self-reliant basically and um and find my own way to entertain myself and I I never really wanted to go to parties and I felt like a lot of like I I should want to go out why don't I want to have friends but I you know so I think that was a really big part of my whole growing up and then that shifted when I went to college and onward did you feel discover sort of a freedom at college or a whole new like, cause I, I mean, for like most yeah. for me, once I broke from high school, it was like, oh, okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would think that they'd find some better way to <laughs> some better kind of high school. Why is it, I mean, I think so many people have that experience there. Um, I don't know. I, it's the age. And then also the seems to be the, the system too, you know, um, it's just that they're not very like conducive to healthy, <laughs> to healthy minds. <laughs> yeah. I like, cause I have two kids, they're young, but it's like, I, I, my daughter, oldest daughter's five. And I'm like, I'd live in fear of just like, Oh my God, she's got to go to fucking high school. And like, you, hear <laughs> it's like, I mean, it damaged me. Like it was, don't worry about it yet. <laughs> that's me. I'm a total yeah. neurotic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've worried I had cancer since I was like 10. So, you know, that's, that's, oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, that's, but that's a valid point. It's like, you still hear of stories of people being bullied and I'm like, we, we haven't figured this out yet. Like how to yeah. stop this. I know, I know. It's strange. Maybe by the time she's in high school, it'll all be great. 
yeah, I'm teaching her how to like dance with knives and all that weird, crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, she's going to be, be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but did you like, did you carry that? I mean, for me, high school was kind of traumatizing. I don't know if yours was, but that, but that it sets a sort of, if you're picked on or you don't fit in, you kind of carry that with you for a while. Did you find yourself carrying that into college? You know, I didn't. I kind of felt like college was a complete, um, uh, complete, I could create myself entirely new. And that was like the revelation of college was that you aren't associated to any anyone or anything and you can kind of start blank canvas um because you're meeting I met I didn't know anybody there and um and it was a small college it was about 2,000 people and so you I met people really easily and um and I just kind of had to to I was really I think I was really shy growing up and I, and that kind of forced me to be much more outgoing and that was very much to my benefit. And, um, and yeah, college is a really unique experience because you're not, you're like completely unmoored from the past in a lot of ways from your family, from everything. And so that was great sense of freedom. And, um, in the school I ended up going to was just really conducive to that and, and I started meeting like my people. So it was, it was very, um, it was very much a, f- a feeling of just shedding the past and letting go of it and not carrying the trauma of it with me. So I'm grateful for that. Is that, is college when you started exploring music or was it before that? Well, I'd been exploring it in high school and I think that, that was actually a huge I think that was the gift of feeling like an outsider and of feeling um, isolated was that I was able, I was connecting with someone like Joni Mitchell or Bob Dylan or Neil Young. And I was really feeling it for, you know, which is kind of, I mean, I, I found Joni Mitchell when I was 13 or 14 um, and I was, I felt it, which is strange because you know she was 30 something probably when she was writing most of it and I just was like oh my god somebody get somebody gets me and and I get them and I want to and my voice kind of uh sat in that same register as hers so it it was like easy to kind of start um getting into music by just singing her songs or Dylan or Neil Young and um and so I started playing guitar by learning her songs and that was in high school. And it wasn't until college that I started flirting with writing my own songs, but I was kind of still, I was like a very, it took me a long time to learn how to play music. Um, so because I was just kind of teaching myself and I didn't, um, I didn't have like, you know, you hear some people who are just like, I became obsessed and I sat for hours and I, you know, learned all the scales and the, and I just, I'm the only way I could learn it was by learning individual songs. Cause that was fun. You know, I didn't really have the, the dedication to be practicing scales or anything. Were you more interested in just learning to write the songs opposed to the other technical? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
do you recall what some of your first songs, like content wise, what they were, what you were exploring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because one of them was, um, one of them was this song called I Can't Love. Um, and I wrote it, I think I wrote it in a creative writing class in college, Professor Glazer. And I'll never forget that when I handed the song in, it was like a creative writing project. And he called me into his office and he was like, I just want to talk to you. Are you, are you okay? Like, are you, it was like, because the song was kind of, I can't love, I can't, da, 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 da. he was like, I, I rewrote it for you as a more affirmative, positive. And I was like, what? Who, what is this? You know, I was so, I just was like floored. I couldn't believe that that had happened. But so much for it being creative writing. Like, do yeah, what? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. I don't, I don't know. But, but the interesting thing about that song was that I, I moved out to San Francisco after college and was dating a, a guy who played music and somehow connected with his music lawyer who heard that song and she shared it with Bonnie Raitt's backing band who were like, this is an incredible song. We're going to do, we want to do sessions with you. And then it was shared with this producer in Los Angeles who was like, I'm going to give you $35,000 to record a series of demos. And I was like, this is the music industry. This is easy. <laughs> I, I was like, wow, I just, kinda, <laughs> I'm just going to skate right in here. Um, and so that was really a bizarre thing, but it all came from that first song that I wrote called I can't love. Um, that's a fucking so, crazy story. I don't know. It was really crazy. It was really crazy. And it, nothing, um, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, what, and I feel like you were going there too, like, what happened after that? Because you think, like, oh, okay, I'm in. And then... Yeah. Well, what happened was that um, that I was recording with these guys. It was Ricky Fitar and Hutch Hutchinson, um, who are amazing musicians. And Ricky it was part of the Ruddles. Do you know the Ruddles? Yeah. To Eric <laughs> yeah exactly um so they were like super cool guys I loved them and we worked together for about I guess it was a little less than a year recording songs and um yeah I'd been gifted with all of this money from an anonymous supporter and so that was just bizarre and amazing and um and as the year went on I just I just kept going in there and being like, this isn't, this isn't what I want to sound like at all. And I was starting to get like really upset and like torn because they were like, well, once this is out, then we could see, maybe we can get us on tour with Nora Jones and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, I like Nora Jones and everything, but is that the direction I want to go? You know, is this what, I want to sound like, and is this the first step I want to take in the world? And so I, I like totally trashed all the recordings and, and bailed and moved to Los Angeles. Um, so that was, <laughs> that was maybe one of the dumber decisions of my life, but, uh, 
<laughs> How no, old were you I'm, when you I'm, when that started I'm, happening? Uh, twenty one or twenty two. That's, I mean, I can only compare it to when I was 21, which was uh, not very clever and smart in the world. But, like, to have the foresight, though, of, like, because if that would have happened to me at 21, I would have been like, yeah, let's go. For you to have the foresight to, like, or insight yeah. to be like, I don't want to sound like this. This is, I mean, that's impressive to me. That Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think you know, 10 years, 10 years into that, I was like, what was I thinking? I could have just, <laughs> I could be living in the Hollywood Hills right now. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, no, I definitely, I don't, I, that is looking back. I'm actually surprised at my gut at me following my gut on that. And yeah. I'm really grateful because I knew it. I definitely know it was not right. And, um, and it's taken so much longer, but it's come from such a more authentic place. And that's all that really matters to me. Um, so, so I, I definitely, I, I, sometimes I really just even forget about it all, you know, and then I'll have a conversation. I mean, I really haven't told this story to many people at all. So, um, but, but yeah, it feels like it was, it's like ancient history and, um, onward and forward you know yeah i mean money is always a great concept but it's like that doesn't and I, it doesn't mean you're going to be happy or content with what you know who knows what that could have led to and right. it could have led yeah. to sorrow and misery <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um yeah well if you're not happy with what you're making what's the point you know so yeah, and I feel like we have such, it's so, especially in Los Angeles, the, the concepts of, the definitions of success are really skewed, or at least in my opinion, or for a woman, I think is success. And I think, you know, a lot of people just think it's money and fame. And I've seen people get those things, and then I've never really met a lot of happy, famous, rich people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there definitely are some, but but it, it they're not, um, they're not like they don't go necessarily hand, hand in hand, you know? So it's, um, it's, I knew that I did know early on that that wasn't what was important about all of it to me. So, um, so it was, it was kind of ended up being an easy decision to make. And also it was all, um, it was all like, it wasn't, you're getting, I'm getting handed a million dollars, you know, it was like still kind of in the ether, whether anything was going to happen, but but it did. It was like this momentum just started building and I didn't even have to do anything. So that was pretty magical. And and again, these, these guys who I was playing with, I'm just so blown away that they were supportive and really seemed to care about the music and, um, and taught me a lot. And so I, I'm, I'm really grateful for the experience. So, and, um, and it, it's always helpful when something strengthens your, your kind of commitment. Um, and that really strengthened my, my commitment to music and the direction that I wanted to go. What made you choose Los Angeles? Cause it was, cause you kind of, I feel like I've read a lot about you in Los Angeles and I've, I feel like we had sort of same experiences where I was hesitant to move here or not sure what I was going to get into and then ended up finding it a very inspiring and beautiful place. 
Yeah. Yeah, I had absolutely no, I had no really positive um, understanding of Los Angeles before going there. It was like, my parents were like, what? There's just traffic everywhere. It's dirty. There's, you know, and, um, and the people there are shallow and blah, blah, blah. And so I just had like this, oh, and especially coming from San Francisco, who hates Los Angeles for some reason. Um, I mean, that, I guess I can't say that, but that was the feeling among the people I was around in San Francisco. Like, why would you go to Los Angeles? Um, and then when I got down there, I moved in with my friend who was living in Altadena, which I think is close. Yeah, that's very close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a magical nature paradise. She was like living up in the mountain. Um, and, and so I was kind of like on, on retreat there and I would drop down into Silver Lake occasionally. And then I got a job at Nature Well. Remember Nature Well? Where is that? Um, was that on Sunset? <laughs> near Intelligentsia. Kind oh, yeah, of. It was like yeah. in Sunset, which was kind of the hub. And that was eight years ago or something. And, um, and then from there, I was just meeting people every single day who were, were great. And I was like, this is paradise. Everyone's so friendly and, um, and there's great music every single night. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I completely fell in love with it in, immediately. Um, and, and, and definitely still miss it and wonder if I'll, if I'll make it back there. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have a, do you think about like when, when the pandemic's over, what that, where you will go or like that's a. Yeah. I mean, I think that just in terms of having a home, a home base, it really makes sense now in, in this little house because uh, it's so cheap to live there and there's like a storage shed for things. And, um, and I think my hope is for the next couple of years or whatever is to be touring and moving around when things open up. So I kind of think it, I would like to come back to Los Angeles for kind of stints of time, but I don't know about moving back there um, right now, but everything's, it's nice. I feel really free. Everything, anything could happen. You know, if someone was like, I have this amazing place in Los Angeles, I would probably just move back there. So I'm open. Yeah. It's, it's funny that I'd, I've, and I've lived in a few cities that I've never lived in a city that has so many preconceived notions about it. <laughs> it's like people yeah. hate it without ever being, have been here or they'll come here for a day or two and they'll hate it. And I'm like, you can't experience Los Angeles in two days. And then people say it has no culture. And it's like, it's no. filled with culture, like great painters, yeah, literature. Like it's crazy. Well, I know. I feel like it's a nice, it's, it's like, the, um, it's a, it separates, like, is an automatic kind of, well, then just move along. It's fine. There's plenty of us here. You know, um, I don't, I, I mean, I don't really feel the need to, to like convince someone that they, they should like Los Angeles because there's plenty. I feel like if you like it, you're just resonant with it and it makes sense. And, and, um, and the rest of the people can, can leave. Yeah, keep our rent down, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and do you, 
did the your new album was do you feel like that was very inspired by LA LA because I remember you write, uh, reading that you were like recording and you could see the with that crossover was that near the yeah forest lawn yeah which is like such a yeah distinct LA visual I know uh the city was a huge part of the of the songwriting process and kind of um it's it's definitely the backdrop of the of the album um and largely it does all kind of revolve around that that one view of the cross because it's kind of magic how it works you you can be kind of anywhere in the in the area north south east west and see it and so I was kind of like always in the orbit of that central place and it I don't know it felt like hopeful and I'm not religious at all and I'm I don't have any like kind of association with a cross, but it was like this beaming white glowing beacon that shone during the night and during the day. And so it was a really powerful kind of central place for the songs to kind of revolve around. And, and my, and I would kind of zoom out and see my little, like my little tiny self kind of going along the freeway around the thing. And, and it's like, and it's so bizarre. I'm living in like a, I don't know. I, it was a weird kind of um, meta experience. I don't know if it's meta, but it was like, I would could zoom outside of myself and see myself moving around and having these experiences. And, and, um, and that's kind of how I see the album is by zooming out. And what does it look like? What does it feel like? And it feels like that little bubble I was living in. And you made a lot of, or were they distinct choices to sort of choose um, older technology, I guess? Because uh, I found that interesting because you were like splicing the tapes together and, <laughs> and I'm really fascinated. Oh, it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily splicing the tapes together, but, um, but it, it did kind of get to that point of like the machine would, the rewind button would stop and then I had to take, we had to take the tape out and rewind it on a boom box and then put it back in. And then, you know, so it was like this really, um, I really made life hard for myself and, and, and guy who produced it by being so kind of stubbornly attached to, to these old machines. But luckily he was on board and kind of totally aligned with, with that same feelings that I had, that it was worth it to use these, these machines. Um, and I think there's some, there's like some aspect of it that is, is human and it conveys something human through the recordings. And I think it's because I can understand how someone makes a tape machine, you know, I, I can't do it, but I can kind of, you can pull the top off and be like, Oh yeah, there's this little wheel and it kind of spins like that. And, and then here's play and record, you know, and it, it like, it was made by a human and a human mind. Whereas if you open an iPhone or a computer, it's like, what? I don't even know. I have no concept of how this was created. And 
it's just like way beyond me and it doesn't feel human. Um, and I think that's just my general feeling about, about technology. And when, when you're making art, you definitely are intentional about the, the kind of channel it's being, it's being pushed through. And, and is that going to be a human? Is it going to have a more human and living sound? Or is it going to have this more kind of what's is to me synthetic or robot or, or AI sound? And like, <laughs> I want to be a human. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Was that something you were distinctly seeking out before you started recording? Or was that just sort of an organic process to find those things? I think I, I think it didn't come clear until years into trying to do different kind of recording setups and and trusting that the you know so this great musician or producer with this cool studio knows what they're doing and they've made really great things that I love using all of these machines and that's great and trying to fit within that was where it became problematic. It wasn't, it's not that I have a judgment. I think there's so many great songs and music that's been made through computer. And I, so I'm not making passing judgment on anyone else who's using them. Um, but for me, I think it didn't, it didn't like, nothing was sitting right until I made a commitment to, to tape or to more analog equipment. And then it was like, oh, I found my, it's like finding your community. Oh, I found my little, my, my avenue. Um, and yeah, so Is that, that was kind of, it, I guess it did kind of happen organically, but it was an intentional choice. It was the same sort of go with you, the omnicord. I did I pronounce that correctly? The instrument that you were that you use, which is omnicord. Yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's it's great. I I I don't know if I have heard one before, but it it really grabs me. The sounds that you got out of that. <laughs> I don't know much about cool. it, but how did you? Yeah. How, how did that come about? That you started playing around with that. Well, I had been searching for this sound that I heard on a, a really random little YouTube video called the violet, uh, what is it? The violet transmuting flame or something. It was a really long, weird, obscure little clip. Sounds like a but flaming this, lip song. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it was, it was just this one sound and I became obsessed with figuring out what that sound was. And I went to my friend, Brian Key, who, who's kind of a sound uh, wizard. I mean, he, he knows everything about sound. And I was like, what is this? And um, he said he thought it was the Nova chord, which was an instrument that was made by Hammond back in the 1940s. And, and there are only about 200 of them that exist now. And so he was like, well, you're probably not going to find a Nova chord anywhere. Um, but here I have this Omnicord in my storage space. And maybe you would like that. And I brought it home and was immediately just enthralled by it. And, and so I, I kind of, I kind of was like, 
it was like an aha moment. It was like everything kind of shown around this <laughs> weird little plastic machine that's kind of more like a children's toy than anything else. Uh, I've read that, and I'm not sure if to what length, but do you, you were calling it sort of like a lost tapes with the, like, was that a concept that you brought to the album? Like, this is lost tapes of, uh, uh, I guess that's pretty much all there was to yeah. what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the, that was definitely a part of it. And I think the idea behind that became with, came with a, from an interest in, in creating something that was outside of time where if you found it and listened to it, it wouldn't, it could be from the past, but it could be from some weird future timeline or it could be from whenever, or it's very present and sounds like now, but it, that it was lost from time in the timeline because I didn't want to make anything that was vintage or retro. Um, and because I think that's kind of contrived and, and annoying, you want to make something that is of your moment. But I, th I think that I, or I feel like that I was able to kind of like bring that into the recordings was a, a timeless kind of a sound. Um, and so and part of that is because of the omnichord sounding kind of strange and futuristic, but also old timey. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it, the, the lost tapes was a really powerful kind of frame framework to set off creating this, the album. Is that freeing creatively to have sort of something like that to inspire, I don't know what the, to inspire or to sort of have a concept to sort of approach things with? Yeah. It helps make decisions very easily. You know, you're like, does this fit in under the lost tapes, you know, title or does it not? And then you're kind of like able to parse out what's, what does not belong. And so I think that was an important part of the process of making it was, was kind of stripping away instead of piling on because you're like, Oh, this doesn't, this, this isn't, elevatings this is this would only take away and so um i think that that for some reason the lost tapes and the feeling that that phrase gives to me is um was very helpful in knowing what the album should sound like was there stuff that you recorded for it that didn't make the album because it didn't fit within that concept um was there were a lot of things that were recorded that don't fit the album but I think they they fit the concept a little they were more I, I recorded a bunch of kind of old um, Appalachian or spiritual gospel songs on it and so they just thematically didn't fit in with my own personal songs but they sound like and they also sound they do kind of sound more um uh, stuck in a certain period of time because of when they were written. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I, I kind of, I kind of was able to be pretty streamlined in, in the things that are recorded for it. it is, are you going to do anything with those songs that didn't make this album? <laughs> I kind of think so. 
I really love that old music. Um, and, and I mean, there's, there's a, yeah, I feel, I feel like that those things, the gift of those old folk traditional songs is that they are, they'll, they kind of just last the test of time. So, um, why not add another version of, <laughs> is that a lot of music sort of ingrained in you from your, your youth, so to speak? I, yeah, I think I didn't really realize that until I was going through them because they, they kind of, they suit my voice better than any other songs that I could cover. I think they, it's like the Appalachian in me comes through more. Um, there's a, there's just, there's a pureness to the, to those old recordings and the, the singers who sing them that they're not theatrical or show off. They're not showing off. They're like, it's just kind of an everyday thing, you know? And I, I really liked that. And I think that comes through in, in their voices. It's very genuine. And, um, and so, so yeah. It, it is, are you going to sort of, uh, I would assume you're going to work on another album or maybe you already are. It, or is there any things from this the approach that you took to this record that you're going to bring to the next, or are you going to seek something other I don't know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think I think that yeah I kind of found the fundamental philosophy behind the way I want to record and um it, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be as extremely limited as this album is um I think it's funny because being out in the country for this past year in the quiet of it is making me want to play really loud music. So uh, there, it's like, I think that we're always kind of finding the counterbalance to where we are in, in Los Angeles. It was like, just get free me from the sound, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so, and not really wanting to, yeah, kind of wanting to contribute a reprieve from the noise. And now I think it's like so so quiet out here I, I kind of want to make some noise um but I think I'll still use or I know I'll still use a tape machine and <clears throat> but maybe an eight track to have some more instrumentation on it um but but definitely I feel like I came to the fundamental the fundamentals of who I am as a, a musician and artist for now I don't I don't see changing that does the does that discovery make you view your first album differently, or does that not enter into it at all? Um, you mean and you mean as far as just like the approach you took from to your first album? Do you like listen to that? I don't know if you go back and listen to it, but you only listen to your own two albums, right? You don't listen to anything else. <laughs> yeah, I just over and over, just one or the other. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, because sometimes you go back and you look at your work and you go, oh, I wish I would have discovered this or that. And I just wonder if how you yeah. view that album now with what you yeah. have learned. Well, it's it's funny. It, I think that it's it feels so far removed from me now that it's it's almost like the earliest recording experience I was telling you where it doesn't, it feels kind of detached from from the the kind of place that I've reached now but 
Um, I stand behind that record because I was working with, it was my boyfriend at the time, and he taught me more than anybody else about uh, commitment to a vision and seeing it through and kind of discipline and uh, powerful kind of just a powerful um, and very specific vision of what you were going to create. And and he had that. And I think that was why I was so drawn to him um, because he, he just knew, you know? And so I, so we made that album together, but he definitely produced it because he had this strong vision and I, and I totally support him. And I think he's, really an incredible musician and and everything. So it was, it was right for me at that time because I, he taught me how to create that, uh, that vision for how you want something to sound. And so it was just that I had latched onto his vision instead of creating my own. And, and so that was the lesson from that album. And you were saying that you were, you want to do something louder and, uh, does that mean you might work more with a band? Because I know you said you don't. Uh, I can't. I didn't write it down. But you, there was a hesitance <laughs> for, with you yeah, <laughs> wanting yeah, to work with to, bands, yeah, cause, which is a lot to handle. To I have a friend who yeah. stopped touring because he's like, I don't want to be in control of or in charge of six different people. Yeah. But, no. I I think that I think there's a way to make it. Um, well, I'm really lucky because I have a guy who's kind of the producer now that I want to work with all the time because he's a multi-instrumentalist. So I think the way that I would make the album is, is layering things and then kind of figuring out a way to do a live performance that is still stripped down. So I, th- I think he, he and I will probably play together as, as tours start to happen. And he's, he's pretty good at doing like a number of things at the same time, like running another, I really love drum machines and that really solves the problem of the drummer. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, so that like is one bandmate out, you know? Um, and so he can kind of operate that and operate an organ slash Mellotron strings and, other things to make it kind of a lush full sound um but still a minimal kind of setup so that's kind of my where i'm starting to to look forward to making another album awesome well um congratulations i know the album was though this won't be released like today but it (laughs) was your album was released yesterday and it's great when I thank you, I when I first heard some of the songs from it, when Sub Pop sent it to me, I was like, I want to talk to this person because uh, it. Oh, just, that's great! It just struck a chord in me, and I love this sound and the feel of it. So, congratulations for me liking it. <laughs> that's what that's, <laughs> that's what that sounded like I was saying. But I mean, just congratulations <laughs> on a, 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 what I think is a great album, and uh, I I hope uh, you have great success. Thank you, Matt. Thanks yeah. for taking the time to talk to me. for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show
on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>